You're listening to episode 78 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and yes, we're still mad at Major League Baseball owners. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in another time, another episode for another week of life without baseball. And I'm just going to throw it out there right up front. (laughs) I'm not sure that's going to get better anytime soon. We'll talk more about that as we go along. I'm Tara, along with Alex, and we are still riding out the extended wave of this pandemic and all the fallout that follows from there. Alex, I feel a little doom and gloom about baseball right now, and we'll explain why in a minute, but how is the rest of life hopefully better than baseball looks right now? The <laughs> uh, rest of life is fine. Had a nice three-day holiday. Uh, it was weird waking up on Memorial Day without baseball. That felt mm-hmm. not good. That didn't feel right. And I can't say this whole th- experience, mostly because of the owners, that this has improved my baseball fandom. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, it, hasn't, I, it, it doesn't even have me like longing for baseball as much as you would think it would, given that it's been gone. It's just like annoying me or something. I don't know. Yeah, I get that. And I honestly, I think that's part of my biggest concern with all of this is that there are people out there who didn't necessarily need a reason to think that baseball wasn't worth their time. And this is sort of creating that reason for them. Instead of you know, talking around the elephant in the room, let's just dive into it. The owners presented the players union with their official economic proposal on Tuesday. And while they moved off of the 50, 50 revenue split that they had conveniently leaked to the public, a week or so ago, it's not a whole lot better as far as the players are concerned because they're still asking the players to take a significant, in some cases, additional pay cut. And I want to be clear, this is an additional pay cut because they already agreed to a reduction in their salary based on the number of games played, which is something that people still seem to not be aware of because I still see a lot of people throwing out their complaints at the players for not taking pay cuts like the rest of us, they already have. (laughs) But that said, we are still talking about very large numbers as far as salaries are concerned in most cases. This new plan offers a, a bit of a sliding scale as far as how those pay cuts are taken. So the guys making the most are the ones giving up the most. The guys making, you know, league minimum are going to get most of what that prorated basically half of a season salary would look like. Sounds like from a purely economic, I guess, perspective, not the worst thing in the world. But Alex, what is your immediate take away from this proposal, because we keep getting details. We're literally recording this at at 8.15 on Tuesday night, and I keep refreshing my Twitter feed because more stuff keeps coming out. (laughs) Well, I think it's a disingenuous attempt by the owners to try to get the optics on their side Mm. so people can really uh, hook their teeth into that idea that let's not feel sorry for the millionaires because the ones who aren't millionaires are getting paid the most. 
when really what this sliding scale allows them to do is pay less money, obviously, because Mm -hmm. if the players who are getting most of their salary under this plan are the players at the very bottom of the spectrum, then that tells you, you you know, you know, where (laughs) the money's being divvied up. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's good that the it's important to make sure the the guys who aren't millionaires are looked after, I guess, more so than the millionaires. But I don't really believe that is the owner's motivation here. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm turning into the guy who's just like constantly just going to be like, oh, or you, you can't trust the owners without even really figuring out what's going on but they've kind of forced me into that position i feel like there's no other place to be now with these guys you know i don't know what else to say no it really is and i think part of it is that there there is no hiding what they've tried to do as far as gaining the public attention the public eye controlling the narrative making sure that they come across as the the side with a plan to save baseball and creating the villains opposite them as the players who refused to play a child's game for a lot of money, even if it's not as much money as they would have made before. So that's really what they've done. And they've done evidently a pretty brilliant job of it. But it also sets things up. You know, I feel like I understand your feeling because I I feel like when I talk about the owners and the decisions that they are making as far as minor league baseball or free agency or, you know, now with this kind of thing, I feel like all I say all the time is how nothing they do exists in a vacuum in that this proposal doesn't just try to save them some money in 2020. There's a very, there's a very real underlying feeling that this is a setup moving into things like the CBA negotiations that are upcoming as well, in that this could very easily create tension within the union, right? Because a lot of the union reps are the guys at the top who are now being asked to give up the most. And their job is still to represent the guy at the bottom who is being asked to give up less, but that could cause some tension and conflict within the players union itself. And that works brilliantly to the owner's advantage if they can sort of divide and conquer and again, make it look like the players are the ones doing all the infighting and that sort of thing. So yeah, it is hard to not see that from the owners. And I feel like more and more and more as baseball continues to become this massive business, set records every season, obviously this one notwithstanding, it becomes less important for them to hide those underlying intentions. Maybe at at least that's how I see it from my perspective. And that's why I agree with you. It's hard not to just constantly feel like the owners have completely lost any sight of what's good for the game. And only care about maintaining their leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think the owners have a grip on how the public is going to react to this as well as they think they do? Because I, I, I think the way the story was written in 94 is that the public, while not exactly taking sides, largely blame the players. Uh, whether yeah. or not that 
was actually the case. Uh, you know, I don't quite remember, but that's certainly how that story's been written. And there's a very good chance that uh, absolutely was the case. I'm trying. I, you know, I was 15 at the time. I honestly don't remember what I was thinking, so I can't yeah. like even give you my own little personal um, view of how it went down. But do you feel as though because fans are now more knowledgeable? I mean, we have we have fans who write influential blogs. We have that wasn't happening in 94. We have just a different way we consume media now than in 94. Do you feel as though it's not it, – it, let's say there is some sort of head-to-head um, stalemate. Do you feel as though it's not going to go down that way this time, that – for the most part, the public is going to be like, you guys are ridiculous, just like we're calling them ridiculous right now. Or do you still think the public mostly is like, you know what, like, I have other things to worry about than to dive into baseball economics. And I'm sorry, if there's no baseball being played, then I'm gonna have to blame the players who are making a lot of money to play a kid's game, uh, quote, unquote, um, because I don't really care to I don't really care to to figure out who's at fault. Just play baseball, yeah. please. Well, I think that is why it's so important for the owners to direct that narrative and to only offer information that supports what they're trying to make people believe. And I would like to think that there are more people, and I'm sure there are more people who are more invested in sort of the granular level of baseball now than there were in 94 in part because there's that much more access, right? We can all dig into it a little bit more and and dissect it. And there are people who do that as a profession. So I would like to think that there are more people who would understand that, look, I'm sure that there is blame to go around (laughs) as far as people being self-serving in the choices that they're making and the stands that they're taking. But there is certainly more leverage being misused by the owners than there is by the players in in this case. So I think that there are still so many people that I see even on on Twitter or, you know, have conversations with who are just baseball fans. They don't care about the rest. And those are the people who are going to blame the players hands down. And you're going to lose, you're going to lose fans. You're going to lose people because they're going to look at this situation and say, how dare you turn down that much money when I've been laid off for three months? And I get that. I really do. But it's, to your point, it's simply a, a matter of not really understanding the context, of not really diving into the deep end of what's going on and the the politics of it, literally and figuratively. Because guess what? Also, uh, evidently, today was announced that um, professional athletes are now considered essential workers by the government. So, you know, to force their hand a little bit more, that gives uh, even more leverage to the owners to say, no, you actually have to come back to work now because you're essential workers, which is a, a whole conversation in and of itself. But the point is, people don't know these things. I feel like I explain over and over again. That's why I made the point at the beginning about the players already taking a pay cut because that's still the number one thing that I see people complaining about. And it's already happened. So I don't I I don't feel good about what's going to happen to baseball if there's no 2020 season because they can't come to an agreement. Now, I would also say the the money thing is what everyone's going to talk about. But 
There were also tweets and, and reports that came out today following the conclusion of the, <laughs> what I can only imagine was an epic Zoom meeting between the Players Association and the owners. And that was these reports were saying that the largest divide is still on the health and safety issues, not the money. So that's not being reported as the biggest issue because the, that's not the headline story that gives you you know, vill villains and heroes <laughs> as, as much as the money stuff does. So, oh man, I don't know. It's, I, two days ago was feeling much more optimistic than I have in a while about the return of baseball. And today I feel just very sad about the state of the game. And we haven't even talked about what's going on with minor leaguers right now. Yes. Yeah, so uh, that's what I was going to say is like, we, we can talk about this, you know, the money aspect of it while not even touching on how is this even going to be logistically possible to, to play given the, given the lingering COVID concerns that are still out there. Right. <laughs> so I can't see any way there's baseball played this year. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. We are almost to June. They seem very far apart. They, if this is what the owners are throwing out there as an offer sure they'll listen to counter offers but you can't imagine that they're going to stray too far from this and to me they're going to have to if it's going to be anywhere near a fair play to the to the players yeah so i i just it just feels like that yeah they're at a a spot where nothing's going to happen yeah and this was the the first meeting uh, evidently of what could be should be a number of them this week as they try to they only have about this week to figure out the the final details if they're going to do anything so maybe we are going to be back next week talking about how they figured it all out and we all overreacted but we won't it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> feel like it doesn't feel like that's the direction this has been going and you know Look, I I get that, like I said, most of these players are still talking about more money than most of us can imagine in one summer, but it's kind of unfair, I always feel like, to, to try to compare apples to apples because, you know, we don't work in the same industry. So it's not it's not exactly the same, even if it does feel a little strange to, to look at their even significantly altered salaries and... <laughs> I don't know, mine in the last three months where I haven't been working and, and feel too bad about it. But that's not the point, right? The point is there there's a principle in play where the owners with, with power and leverage are taking advantage of their status and of their uh, legal exemptions for how they run their business. And the players are are just trying to, to get back to a place where, you know, they feel like there's some some justice in what they're being asked to do. And, and I'm certainly not going to talk on their behalf because I'm not in that situation. I'm not in the room. I'm not fighting for my own financial well-being. But there's also the, the risk involved on the health front. And there's also just the challenges that are going to come after this season, right? When we're talking about the CBA when we're talking about what free agency is going to look like after a season where nobody's making any money. And, you know, it 
becomes very hard to put any pieces together that make sense for this year, I think. And that's, um, that's frustrating, but I think you're right. It's gone on so long that it's a little bit like, okay, well, uh, I think we're all a little resigned to not having baseball this year, which again, goes back to the problem we talked about at the beginning. People are going to sour on the game of baseball because of all of this and then just get used to not having it around. Um, and that's, that's very sad as a, baseball fan who spends as much time wrapped around this game as, as you and I both do. Yeah. Now, one thing I will say it has going for it is that if they are able to somehow pull off an agreement, and again, I'm, I'm not confident that they will, at least, sure, there'll be a, a massive delay in getting the season started, but at least there won't be like a break in the middle of the season. Like it's, it's very hard for me to <laughs> yeah. wrap my head around the NBA coming back, m- meaning coming back for this season, because it seems so long ago since they shut down. Like, how can yeah. you start a season? How can you resume a season that has, has been basically sitting idle for two and a half months? It seems crazy to me. Um, mm-hmm. So at least if baseball were to come back, it would be uh, there would be some continuity to it, I guess. Uh, yeah, I've just never experienced anything like this before. I guess the 1981 strike was sort of like that. Uh, I'm, t- I'm trying to remember how long that that went on for before they start playing again. I don't, I, I don't believe it was this long. Um, but yeah, this is just such uncharted uh, territory for all of us. I, did you see that stat that yesterday was the first time basically since like 1880 since they didn't play yeah. baseball on you know Memorial Day uh, and that's just nuts. Like, like, you know, it's, this is maybe the craziest thing that has happened to the sport. And I was trying to think, Tara, if someone were to explain to you what was going to happen, let's say last, let's say a year ago at this time, someone was trying to tell you exactly why we weren't playing baseball or, <laughs> and not just not playing baseball, but not leaving our houses very often, not meeting in large groups, not playing other sports. I would feel like, man, my life is my life in mortal danger. Like, and I, I, sh- mm-hmm. I don't want to say that because a lot of people's lives are in mortal danger, but it's sometimes you have to step back and think about how crazy this is. This is yeah. insane that this is happening and that I don't know when it's going to end. Like obviously some places are opening back up slowly, but there's still a little uncertainty out there that it doesn't mean we can't all of a sudden lock back down again if there's a huge if there's a huge second wave or whatever yeah yeah it feels like an alternate universe <laughs> that is what i kept thinking today and it's so strange to me how quickly in some cases <laughs> some people have adapted to this version of reality in that it just kind of is what we do now and what we talk about and how we go about things and it feels almost as foreign to think about going back to normal of some kind as it did to think about this being normal, you know, three months ago. And man, it just, whether we're talking about sports coming back or talking about the, the hoops everyone has to jump through just to, you know, do their normal day jobs or the number of people that don't have their normal day jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just a, such a, a strange it's just a massive amount of chaos to try to wrap your brain around. And I guess maybe that's part of why baseball feels a little bit inconsequential right now when you start thinking about all those other things. 
but man, it would be, it would be nice to have, you know, one of those normal things back, but it, it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like we're moving in that direction. We can move on and, and talk about something else in just a minute, but I did want to read this one tweet from Joe Sheehan uh, earlier on Tuesday. He said, the one thing I'd really like to get across is that this is entirely the owner's fight. It's not both sides. It's the owners demanding the players compensate them for losses or there won't be baseball. That's not negotiating. The owners have taken the 2020 season hostage. And that sums up how I feel about what the owners have done in this whole process. Not because there isn't room for compromise on both sides, but because they're entirely directing do this or else to the players. And that's, it just is so frustrating to watch. Yeah. If I can say something real quick on uh, Sheehan, um, you know, he can be a polarizing figure mostly because yeah. he's, he can be a grump. Uh, um, and <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I, I was about to say, I've had run-ins with him that, that makes it sound like I'm on the same like level as he, like I, I, he, <laughs> I, I think I, from time to time I've sent like tweets to him arguing with him, but he to me is at the forefront of being right about this. Um, and he has been for a very long time and he, he knows exactly what he's talking about and he's a great follow through all of this because he knows exactly where the blame lies and not just for this, for this incident, but also way back in 94 as well. So he's, uh, he's, he's been doing great work is basically what I'm saying. If, if you subscribe yeah. to his newsletter, you probably know that already because he's been pumping them out almost daily and. It's been very good info, um, and he's just been slamming the owners. And so, you know, if, say, five years from now, someone says, like, I just wish someone would have been out there, uh, you know, making noise about this, um, you know, <laughs> there are. there, And they're, you know, Sheehan's obviously an influential voice, so good on Joe Sheehan. Yeah, yeah, nice to see that not wavering throughout this process. And, you know, just being very clear and well-spoken in what he says as well. Um, since this is a Cardinals podcast, we do have a little bit of Cardinals news that we can talk about for a couple of minutes. The Cardinals right. Hall of Fame was announced to the 2020 class. Who knows when that the an induction ceremony will ever actually be at this rate. But nonetheless, Tom Herr, John Tudor, Bill White the 2020 Cardinals Hall of Fame class. Thoughts, Alex? Uh, awesome on Bill White. If there's anything that's not awesome about it, it's that he's, he wasn't already in. It seems like that should have happened a couple of years ago when they first started doing this. So let me see. I, I like the Cardinals Hall of Fame a lot. I think it's awesome. And it's a place that this organization deserves because it, you know this obviously is an organization steeped in history. Um, I kind of wish the fans didn't have a say in it, if that's fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so l let me make the case for John Tudor and Tommy Herr real quick. So John Tudor, you could argue, certainly in 85 and possibly in uh, 87 as well, that the Cardinals um, uh, don't have two pennants uh, you know, without, without John Tudor in those years. That's definitely the case in 85. Um, he was possibly the best pitcher in baseball, not named Dwight Gooden that year. And he was a big reason why they went to the world series 
So he was a very good pitcher for several seasons with the Cardinals. And there's a reason why he was nominated for this honor. Tommy Herr is um, almost, you could call the poster child for Whitey Ball. Um, I mean, or, well, I don't know if that, but certainly one of them. Um, you know, he, he won a World Series with the Cardinals in 82. He won a couple pennants with the Cardinals. He, uh, you know, was Ozzie Smith's basically, uh, you, you know, partner on that awesome, you know, middle middle of the infield defense that the Cardinals had all those years was with the Cardinals for what felt like a solid decade from 79 um, through the 87 season. He uh, had the awesome year in 85 that I'll forever love when he hit eight home runs. Um, but, and yet somehow drove in 110, uh, you know, still had 110 <laughs> RBIs. Uh, he, he had a very good career with the Cardinals. But I don't think either of them should have gotten in over Keith Hernandez. And it's funny because I, I tweeted today that I kind of like that Keith Hernandez keeps getting snubbed um, because <laughs> to me it just illustrates how much we hated those Mets teams <laughs> back in the 80s. Um, and that has to be the only reason why he's not getting in, right? It's because he was on those hated Mets teams or maybe – what the situation is not so much that he was on those Mets teams and we hated the Mets, but just the fact that he's so identifiable as a Met. Yeah. He, um, you know, he, that he kind of like had a second act because of that Seinfeld episode, right. Where, you know, where he's, they're obviously talking about him being with the Mets. He won, he won a world series with the Mets on one of the most famous teams of all time. He does, he does, he announces games for the Mets. He is a Met. But before he was a Met, he was mm-hmm. a great Cardinal. And, you know, Tudor was only with the team for a couple of years. You know, Tommy Hurst certainly spent some time with the team, uh, you know, like I said, almost a full decade. But he was never great. He was very good. But he was never great. Keith Hernandez was great with the Cardinals. And he was there from for a solid, for 10 years, from 74 to 1983. So spent 10 seasons with the Cardinals. And... I don't blame the fans. I I certainly, you know, he got traded from the Cardinals when I was four years old. I don't remember him winning a World Series with the Cardinals in 82. I was only three years old. And I knew of Keith Hernandez as a guy I hated as a player who was on the Mets before I even knew he played for the Cardinals. I remember finding out he had, when I remember when I found out he played for the Cardinals, I thought it was the most insane thing I'd ever heard. Like, what are you talking about? This guy was a Cardinal? We hate this guy, <laughs> you know? So, so I get it. But point has been made. We we uh, we made him wait a while, but it it's time he should be inducted next year. I'm starting to feel bad for Keith Hernandez. Yeah, I had this conversation with Daniel Shoptaw the other day, and I think there's so much truth to what you were just saying in that the Cardinals Hall of Fame to me is about someone's sort of their place in the legacy, right? Not necessarily about their stat line and their skill set. And because of that, you'll get players like eventually a David Freeze, right? Who is, I think everyone, maybe not everyone, most people would say is a Cardinals Hall of Famer, but based on one postseason, not based on an entire career, which is fine. And I have no totally, problem with that totally. because team that's, all, yeah. he, he has just this immortal place in the team's history. And that's fine to make that the way that you define the Hall of Fame. But then when 
someone's story or someone's legacy is mostly with another team, then you lose out on maybe their role in some of those those moments as well, which is, you know, maybe part of the the Hernandez thing. I think a lot of people would like to see him get in though. So maybe there's enough momentum at this point that we will see that yeah. from him. I I don't have a lot of thoughts on the Hall of Fame. I think it's cool. Uh my dad's dad didn't sign a contract with the Cardinals at one point because Bill White was the guy he would be have been playing behind. <laughs> so he wouldn't have gotten much of a chance at the big league level. So that's cool. It's kind of like when your team loses uh-huh. to the eventual champion, you feel a little bit better about it. Um, but that's that's really all I've got. <laughs> yeah, and, and let me be clear. I I don't think like something like the Cardinals Hall of Fame should just be like based on a war leaderboard. Uh, that would be really annoying. Right. And that's not what these are for. Um, and I think you could argue that a player like Tommy Herr, who was on all three pennant winners for the Cardinals in the 80s, is more important to the organization as a whole than Keith Hernandez. But, and I'm going to talk about this in the chirp of the week, you're going to see you've got to have room for Keith Hernandez as well. Because yeah. the, the body of work he, he put together for the Cardinals, it's undeniable. And, and he, has, he has to be in there. Um, Hopefully he does get in eventually and uh, we can all make jokes about it. Um, and another reason to put him in, it's another way to sort of needle the Mets, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, hey, you know, like he also played for us and uh, <laughs> we're going to induct him into our Hall of Fame. In fact, you could argue he was even better player for us than he was for you guys, but we didn't put him in our Hall of Fame for a really long time because we had better players we had to get to first. But now we finally got around to your guy and we're going to put him in. Um, so there you go. Yeah. Well, you led into it. So unless you have anything else to add about the Hall of Fame, let's uh, let's move on to the Chirp of the Week. Yeah, I don't have a great Chirp of the Week. It's just going to be me reiterating a lot of what I just said, uh, mostly because uh, I'll tell you what, for not being able to make plans during this whole thing, I sure seem to not have a lot of free time all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Um but yeah, let's let's talk about Keith Hernandez just so we can get an idea of the type of player he was for the Cardinals. I mentioned earlier he he came came on to the he he joined the club in '74 and played through '83. It seems crazy that he was with the Cardinals in '74 because that seems so long ago, and we all know his career you know lasted a very very uh, long time. Uh, you know, I was collecting his baseball cards you know up in you know in the late '80s and you know, up until about 1990, which is when he, he called it quits. But to give you an idea of the body work he has with the Cardinals, um, this is what you need to know. He's 21st all time with the franchise and plate appearances, 4,729 plate appearances with the Cardinals. And during that time he batted 299. So he was almost a 300 hitter with the Cardinals and almost 5,000 plate appearances. He's 16th all time in wins above replacement um, by baseball reference. And that's uh, 34.4 uh, wins above replacement. He's 22nd all time for the organization in hits. He had, he won six gold gloves with the Cardinals in his time. Um, I, I don't know if 83 counts. He won a gold glove in 1983. And I don't know if that counts because he, he played partially that year with the Cardinals. Um, but most of that year, more of that year was spent with the Mets. But either way you slice it, he won a lot of gold gloves. 
with the Cardinals now, I, I know, um, you know, gold gloves, not always the most reliable statistic when it comes to defense. Um, and I certainly can't tell you a ton about Keith Hernandez's defense other than what I read on Fangrass and stuff. But the people who do remember will tell you how great of a first baseman he was. And that includes Ozzie Smith. Um, hmm. Ozzie Smith will talk all day about how great of a first baseman, uh, defensive first baseman Keith Hernandez was. He, he went to two all-star games with the Cardinals. He won a World Series with the Cardinals. He won an MVP with the Cardinals. He won a batting title with the Cardinals. And the very next year, he led the National League in on-base percentage. Um, he led the league in runs scored in both 1979 and 1980. And he, hit, he led the league in doubles in 1979. He hit 48 doubles, uh, which is a lot of doubles uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for the Cardinals in 1979. That was also his uh, MVP season. He's, he shared it, I believe, with Willie Stargell that year. So the bottom line is, let's say he had retired. Let's say he had a short career and he retired after 1986 and never had this illustrious career with the Mets. I think he's a Cardinals Hall of Famer. I think it really does boil down to the fact that we think of him more as another player than we do the Cardinal. But we should also consider him a Cardinal because he was not only a Cardinal for a long time, but he was a great Cardinal. Um, Now, there's other things going on as well. And I I think it was Hockman who had a poll question after Hernandez didn't get in, basically asking like, do you think this has to do with the fact that he played for pond scum? Um, that's what we called the Mets back then mm-hmm. or because of his drug use. Um, Keith Hernandez was a cocaine guy as I don't know how to say it as a lot of other guys were in the eighties and Whitey Herzog wasn't having that and got rid of him. Um, and I think that also diminished his stature a little bit in the eyes of Cardinals fans, um, whether that's fair or not, but you know, I think it's time we put Cardinal, we put Keith Hernandez in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, as I said earlier. Um, but that is your chirp of the week. He was a Cardinal for a very long time, and he was a good Cardinal, and he won games as a Cardinal. Like you said, he was on a he was the starting first baseman for a team that won the World Series, and that doesn't even mention all of his other just individual stats that he compiled, he compiled, and awards that he won. So yeah, let's get Keith Hernandez in the Hall of Fame. There you go. This time next year, maybe, or whenever they announce, I had never even remember when they announced the voting uh, options for the Hall of Fame. It always catches me off guard, but we'll just have to pull this out and play it back again and remind everyone why they need to uh, include Hernandez in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And, so, and if I, if I, sorry, I, me- I, I meant to say one other thing, so I apologize for interrupting, but he accumulated more the last thing i'll say is he accumulated more wins above replacement by baseball reference with the cardinals than he did with the mets ah see it, yeah. it's, it just should happen there's yes. there's no good reason to uh to keep him off that off that list off the wall and inducted maybe you know eventually when baseball decides to get itself get its act together and figure out how to play nice with each other i don't know when that's going to happen though so There's time. There's time for everyone to remember why Hernandez deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. Alex, I don't know where baseball goes after this week, but in theory, we'll be back next week to talk about it and, um, you know, see how much more depressed we feel about baseball and life without it then. Or maybe the miracle will happen and everyone will decide to... uh, 
to adequately compromise and figure out a way to play baseball safely. Uh, you know, anything can happen, right? Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening, for checking out another episode of the show. And we will uh, we'll try to be back with you next week, maybe with a little more positive energy. I don't know. No promises. I'm Dara. He's Alex. We'll talk to you then.